I might need to get Terry back up here on the Hammond B while I got this handheld. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you know. You can tell all of you are white, never been to African American church before, because you didn't know, you didn't get that joke at all. Um, I read an interesting article this week, and it's talking about there's a new trend in churches to start adding a few tables and chairs to their worship space. And I thought, that's interesting. I said, because we've been doing that for years. We didn't do it to be trendy. We did it because we had no chairs. But at the time, we had a guy who did construction in the airport, and he called us and had all these tables. We're like, we'll take it. We'll fill the place up. But here was the interesting thing. I want you to look around, and I want you to see how many people are sitting in rows. And then I want you to look around and see how many people are sitting in chairs. I mean, tables, excuse me. And here was what the study said. They said, if you ever want to get a good idea of the background of the people you attend your church, it was, it was a real cute article. It said, maybe you should add some tables and chairs, four or five of them. And it said, what that will let you do is you'll be able to tell the people in your church that have a church background and those that have a bar background. <laughs> it said, the church people will be much more comfortable in rows and the bar people will be much more comfortable at tables. So I don't know what this says about Action Church, but... You seem much more comfortable at tables for the most part. We have like 10 of you who have a church background, which would explain why our giving is so bad around here. But uh, anyway, man, we're glad to have you. We're the second week of a series called Emoji, and I am not used to using a handheld, so we're going to try to figure this out today while I flip through my notes. I wish I could be real spiritual like Grady and not use any notes at all, but I'm not that good. But how about this? A red microphone. I also read recently, because I like to read a lot, it said that front men like people that are leading, that are out in the front, that love to use red are the biggest ego people there are. So I use a red Bible, and Phil uses a red microphone. So I don't know what that says about me and Phil leading the church every week, but apparently today I'm double dose of ego because I have a red Bible and a red microphone. Um, It's funny. Isn't it funny how our communication has changed over the years? I mean, we went from calling people and actually talking to them to sending vague messages through beepers because we, you know, this means that and that means this, to, to getting the little flip phone where we would try to send a text and it was horrible to do, to getting smartphones where we would send paragraph after paragraph because we thought it was the greatest thing ever, to now we respond with emojis. We don't type out, man, I'm really having a bad day and I'm mad. We respond with a face at the Lamb House this week, we got very adventurous, and we decided that we needed a pet pig. So we went to Nashville and bought a mini pig, and my wife sent me a text this week, and it said, pig, angry face. I knew what she meant. She meant the pig was on her nerves. The pig was messing everywhere. The pig that's supposed to use the litter box is not using the litter box and that the pig can make the most blood-curdling screams I have ever heard of anything in my life. And pigs are kind of like vampires. They sleep all day, and they rummage all night. And South African mastiffs and golden retrievers are not big fans of pigs. That's the lessons we learned in the lamb house this week. But I learned all of that through one thing. My wife sending me an emoji. That's the power of the emojis nowadays. I respond to my kids. My two oldest kids have been on vacation this week with their parents. And every single solitary time, I sent them a text. How are things going? You having fun? Not one word was typed back. Emojis were typed back every single time. 
That's just how we communicate now in this day and time. So we thought it'd be real fun. There was a couple of random topics that I wanted to talk about, and we teach in series here at Action Church, meaning we take one subject and we kind of break it down over three or four weeks. But sometimes there's some individual topics that I want to talk about, and I don't want to break down for a month. So we thought, man, that'd be real fun. Emoji would be a cool way to talk about some of the emojis that we use all the time and talk about the emotion that goes behind them. And so last week, we talked about how do we deal with our anger. And I was amazed by the response we got. It was good to know that I'm not the only one who deals with anger, and uh, most of the time it is not righteous anger. Next week is going to be a fun week. We're going to talk about how you deal with crappy people. How you deal with crappy people. Let's be honest. Everybody has some crappy people in their life. Yeah. The next week we're going to talk about how to genuinely be happy. And then the last week I'm trying to debate if I'm going to teach it or I'm going to allow Grady to teach it because we're talking about how to be physically fit, how to take care of your body. And if you've seen Grady and you've seen me, you understand that he understands the concept of physical fitness a whole lot better then I understand the concept of physical fitness. My body actually believes in the opposite of physical fitness. So I have now, I pulled it up this morning, in the last 75 days, I have worked out 60 of those 75 days. I mean, worked out, hold on, stop, don't, don't. I'm talking about I have worked out hard. I go to a class, I can tell you how many calories I've burned, I can tell you my average heart rate. And in the process of those 65 days, I have gained weight. And don't give me the bull crap about it. It's muscle. It's not muscle. My pants fit tighter than they did before. My belly has got bigger than it has got before. Because what I have done is I'm like, cool, I worked out. I can eat that ice cream. Cool. Fettuccine sounds great for breakfast. Brownies? Sure, let's go to Ingles. Get some brownies. And let's ki- Emily's on a baking kick. I want to encourage my kid to follow whatever dream she has. And here recently, she's wanted to bake. So you know what? To be a supportive dad that I am, I eat. Unlike Christine, Christine doesn't support her dreams. She won't eat the brownies. But I don't want Emily to think worse of her mom, so I fix a plate for me and Christine. Then I go in the room and I eat Christine's brownie and my brownie because that's just the kind of husband I am. You know what I mean? You know, so listen, I have gained weight to the point that I was talking about it last night. This is how, this is when you know you've hit a low in your physical fitness. When Kylie Blankenship is giving you physical fitness advice, you know you have hit rock bottom in your physical fitness. I'm like, I'm just going to, that was last night was actually when Kylie started giving me advice, I was like, yeah, I think I'm going to let Grady preach that message because. If I am to the point in my life where Kylie is giving me advice, then I am in the point where I don't need to get up and preach about it. But, um, and I love Kylie. But um, today we're going to talk about the second emoji up there, peace. This is my go-to emoji, if you've ever texted with me. This is kind of like my all-encompassing. Because here's what I used to do. People would send me texts and I'd be like, And what they were doing is they were asking me something, and they took the thumbs up as me saying yes and agreeing to whatever they were sending me. I wasn't agreeing. I was just blowing you off. You know? Hey, Gary, you know what we ought to do? Blah, blah, blah. Hey, Gary, do you think I could sing a song on Sunday? I've never sung it. I'm like, oh, he said, yeah, he gave me a thumbs up. So now I've learned the all-encompassing, yeah, whatever, peace. Cool. And they had to decipher. Was he saying he agreed with me, didn't agree with me? He doesn't care. I don't know. But, you know, That's a cool phrase, peace. We live in a day and time where there's just not a lot of peace. Matter of fact, I would dare say 
We live in a day and time, and a lot probably has to do with social media giving everybody a voice, that we live in a day and time where there's less peace than ever before. Now, we think peace, we think war, like there's no wars going on right now, we're living in a time of peace. I get what you're saying. But individually, I feel like we live in a day and time where people just want to confront and argue and fight more than ever. For example, this week on Facebook, my wife decided that our pig is black and white and it looks like a cow. So she was going to name the pig Moo. So I said, hey, meet Moo Pig. Somebody wrote on my Facebook, why Moo Pig? Why not blah, blah, blah? So I responded back, because that's what we wanted to name it. Like, what do you mean, why not? Because it's not your freaking pig, it's our pig, and we want to name it this. How does that affect you? This person then proceeds to private message me, arguing with me over the name that we named our pig. How do you have a dog in that fight? People just love to argue. Facebook and Twitter and everything gives everybody a voice to argue. How many of you know who Rich Ward is? Rich Ward goes to our church. He's a guitar player for Stuck Mojo, guitar player for Fozzie, and probably, I think, safe to say genuinely, the nicest human being on the face of the earth. Is that, is that safe to say? I mean, just like so nice that you don't trust him. Does that make sense? You're like, hey, ain't that nice. I wrote some, oh, I wrote the other day, it's supposed to be all for Rich War because I was going to go to the Striper concert with him. And I said, but instead I'm at a city council meeting, man, stinks being an adult. Someone starts sending me private messages about how bad they thought Rich Ward was at playing music. And I'm like, why? Like, I don't play music. I don't know anything about music. I don't know if he's good or bad. I think he's pretty good. And he's on the front of Guitar Magazine. I mean, I think he knows what he's doing. But I don't know. But I'm like, you're such a grumpy person. You're going to attack someone because I said I'm going to go to a concert with them. Like, get a life. We live in a day and time where peace is non-existent. We live in a day and time where people want to argue and they want to fight about everything. Everyone thinks they're entitled to their opinion, which they are, but they think everybody wants to hear their opinion, which they don't. And it leads to the time, and it's amazing to me how many friendships and how many relationships are ruined now because we don't know how to fill up the peace sign and be like, hey, I don't agree, but cool. We can still be friends. We've got to the point where we're majoring on the minors and ruining relationships over issues that don't matter. And i got to be honest with you. I have spent my life fighting with people. I am the king of fighting with people. I am the king of holding a grudge. I am the king of you did me wrong years ago, and I will never forget it. And when I see you, I remember it, and I can't stand you, and I hope you die. Until I would say about a year and a half, two years ago. And it got to where it was literally giving me anxiety attacks. It was getting me to the point where I couldn't stand to go out in public because I would run into people I couldn't stand, and they would affect my nights, and they would affect all this. And I got to the point in my life where it is an issue that I have very deliberately been working on. I'm still not great at it. I'm still not good at it. But I accepted some things. I accepted the fact that I'm just not going to like some people. 
I accepted the fact that some people are just going to do me wrong. I've accepted the fact that I'm going to do some people wrong and they're not going to like me because of it. And I've accepted the fact that some people I'm just never going to get along with and I probably wouldn't pee on them if they were on fire. However, I can't live my life with the anxiety and the stress that comes with hating them. Hate takes a lot of work. Not liking somebody takes a lot of work. I dare say that holding a grudge and not being able to live at peace with people is exhausting. Because the problem is they control you. You never know what they're going to do or when you're going to see them or what they're going to say or what you heard. Where it's going to affect you, it's not affecting them, but it's affecting you. And it's an area in my life where I'm really trying to work at and I'm not perfect at it. I have a long way to go. But I, I feel like I've got to the point where I have learned the importance of letting things go. Now hear me out. That doesn't mean I want to be around those people. That doesn't mean I want to hang out with those people. That doesn't mean I want to be buddies with those people. That doesn't mean I want to be friends with those people. It doesn't even mean I want to like those people. But what it does mean is I'm no longer going to allow what they did to me to control me. I'm going to go about my life. We need to understand that life is short and we were created. Don't miss this. You were created for relationships. It said it's not good for man to be alone. God created us with the need to be around other people. People who live in isolation, people who live saying they don't need to be around other people, and I used to be that person forever, literally have a default or a defect in their walk with Christ because that's not how we were created. But what happens in life is, is people do us wrong. People hurt us. People screw us over. People betray us. People say things that we don't like. And so what happens is we allow one or two people to come along and do that, and we just don't like people in general. People suck. People this, people that. Not preaching at you today, I'm preaching with you. Might not even be preaching with you today, might just be preaching to myself today. And we get to the point in our life where we literally won't even allow ourselves to be in relationship with other people. I lived my whole life, though. I've told you, I've shared with you before, and I'm not going to get into it again. I probably have more people in my day-to-day -day life friendship than ever before since I met Christine because she is a social person, and she is going to be around people, and I decided that I can be miserable being around people or I can enjoy being around people. We went last night and cooked out with some friends and had a good time, and for the first time ever, I had been there like three and a half hours, and I didn't feel like I started itching. I didn't feel like I started scratching, and I was getting ready to go. I was like, oh, you know, because normally I'd be like, I can't be around these people. I was like, man, I'm taking baby steps, and, and I'm, I'm having a good time here, and it's cool. And this is, I can deal with it because we were created for relationships. The whole time Jesus walked the face of the earth, you'll see that he was in constant relationship with people. Now, Jesus knew there was times in his life he needed to get away. He needed to be isolated. He needed to have one-on-one -on -one time with God. He needed time to go away and recharge. But he also knew the importance of relationships. As a matter of fact, he did day-to-day -day living with 12 men. They ate together. They, they roamed. They did ministry together. They housed up together. They did all every bit of life, the highs and the lows together. And Jesus understood the importance of relationships 
And oh, by the way, one of those 12 betrayed him. Betrayed him to the point that he was crucified. We've been betrayed a lot, but ain't none of us ended up dead if you're still here today because of betrayal. Yet Jesus still knew the importance, and he said this about relations. He said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your, your mind and all your strength. And he said, the second greatest commandment says, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these two. We need to understand that God created us for relationships. It is literally in our DNA. There's something in us that craves the fellowship of other people. And Jesus knew this, and he knew the importance of it, and he tells us, you're to love your neighbor. And he said, here's the deal with your neighbor. Your neighbor might not even be someone you like. It might not even be someone you want to hang out with all the time, but we're commanded to love that person. We're commanded to do life with that person. And the reality is very few of us do that. Matter of fact, the reality is very few, many of us, most of us, don't even have healthy relationships. We've got relationships that are broken. We've got relationships that are unhealthy. We've got relationships that are torn apart. We have family relationships that are splintered. I've never been shy about my relationship with my family here. And I've told you, I'm not the closest of my family. Well, yesterday, I decided to be a good family member for once in my life. And one of my family members had a daughter who passed away. And they don't live anywhere near here, but it turns out the daughter did live here. And so the funeral viewing was going to be in Woodstock. And I thought, well, man, that ain't far. I can be a good family member. And I can drive to Woodstock, and I'll show up at the viewing. I showed up at the viewing, and it kind of hit me how splintered I am for my family because they literally looked like they saw a ghost when I showed up. Matter of fact, one of them said, are you the ghost of Gary? I said, what do you mean? Oh, we haven't seen you in probably 10 years. I said, oh, y'all were close by. So I stopped in. Literally, my cousins are introducing me to their kids. Hey, this is my cousin. You've never met him. I'm like, oh, thought we were friends on Facebook. I thought that meant we knew each other. Like, it was like the, the shock on their face. And it convicted me. When I, I was like, man, I probably need to see them like every five years now instead of every ten, you know. <laughs> you, know and, you know, I felt like I'd done a good thing, and it was interesting. But we just have broken relationships. Some of you have people that were your friends forever, and that relationship is now gone. At one time, you were really close with someone, and they did something to hurt you. And now the mention of their name just makes you angry. We have got to learn that we have a responsibility in those relationships. We have a responsibility, even when we're the one that's done wrong, to live at peace with people. We have the responsibility to not allow them to have the impact in our life and have the effect in our life where they control us. Because it literally will kill you. The Bible says this in Ephesians 4.3, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. The Bible says, make every effort. Now, here's the key to that verse. Does that put the responsibility on the other person or does it put it on you? It doesn't say, make sure the other person's making every effort. It doesn't say if they're making every effort. It doesn't say if they're doing what's right. It says you make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. The Greek word for effort right there literally means to strive eagerly it means to strive earnestly. It means to put effort forth. Now, here's also what that means. You make every effort, and sometimes it's not going to be good enough. 
There's some people, and you need to hear what I'm about to tell you today, there's some people you just cannot live at peace with. But you've got to be able to look yourself in the mirror and know you made every effort. The Bible says this in Romans 12, if it is possible, it says if it's possible because sometimes it's not possible, if it is possible, as far as it depends on who? Come on, white church, help me out. As far as it depends on who? One more time, because you suck today. As far as it depends on who? You. You. As far as it depends on you. But Gary, you don't know what they did to me. You're right. Gary, they've never come back and apologized. You're right. Gary, they've never asked for forgiveness. You're right. Gary, I trusted them. I get it. But the Bible says as far as it depends on you, you live at peace with everyone. It doesn't mean you've got to hang out with everyone. It doesn't mean you've got to love everyone. It doesn't mean you've got to be best friends with everyone. But how immature that we can't even be in a grocery store, run into someone without the fear of a fight breaking out. I have people in my life that I have literally not seen in 10 to 11 years, and Christine will tell you, will run into them, and they literally can see the anger on their face, and they go the other way. And I think to myself, how pathetic that 11 years later, you're still holding that grudge. How pathetic that 11 years later, it's still affecting you. Because here's the deal. Here's the funny thing. It doesn't affect me. I don't get up in the morning and think about them. I don't get up in the morning and wonder how they're doing. But they get up every day struggling with it. Living at peace with someone has nothing to do with the other person And it has everything to do with us. We decide whether or not we're going to live at peace with someone. And you know how I know we decide this? Because my wife calls me out on it all the time. There's people in my life that I choose to have a grudge towards. There's people in my life that I choose. Well, you know what they did. I don't want to be around them. She says, that's funny. You pick and choose. Because this person did this to you and you still choose to be around them. And this person's this and this and you choose to be around them. But this person did this and you choose not to be around them. And she's right. We pick and choose. What I've got to do is take another step in my walk and realize we've got to live at peace with everyone. But living at peace with everyone doesn't mean I have to be their buddy. Doesn't mean I got to text with them. Doesn't mean I got to thumbs up their comments on Facebook. Doesn't mean I got to go to dinner with them. But what I got to do is I got to get to the point that when I hear their name, it doesn't instantly make me angry. It doesn't instantly make me want to seek revenge. Because if you're seeking revenge or you want something bad to happen to them, then you're not living at peace with other people. We've got to get to the point to realize that, listen, living at peace with someone is not your your stamp of approval on what they did to you. It does mean that we aren't living with the bitterness and the revenge towards that person anymore. Because bitterness is horrible and revenge is miserable. And we've got to learn to live at peace. As much as it depends on us, live at peace with everyone. Now, there's some people you're not going to be able to live at peace with, but here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean you've got to fight with them because it takes two to fight. So they can want to fight. We can choose not to engage in that. We can choose not to engage in the war of words. We can choose not to engage in the name-calling and the gossiping and the back-talking and the running down. We're just going to choose to take the high road, and the view's always better from the high road. The high road is harder. The air gets a little thin on the high road, but the view's amazing. On the high road. Some relationships are literally waiting on the parties to grow up 
and be restored. Some relationships will never be restored. So, so my question for you today is, do you have a relationship today that's challenged? Do you have a relationship with someone who you come along and the mention of their name angers you? Do you have a relationship with someone that you know in your heart of hearts, in your inner peace, in your inner being, you're not living at peace with? How do we deal with that? <laughs> How do we get to the point that we're not going to worry about what they've done? Because here's the deal about what they've done. <laughs> they've already done it. Can't go back and change it. I remember as a child, I remember as a teenager, my dad had a very successful business. And my dad hired his best friend from high school to run that business. And about two years after my dad running, or this friend running the business, the CFO part, running all the finances of the business, my dad was to the point where he had to bankrupt the company because the guy had been embezzling all the money. And I remember to this day, you bring it up and my mom gets angry and bitter and frustrated because we had to change our lifestyle. It, it affected us in a lot of ways. And then I remember my dad. I never once remember him talking bad about the person. I never once remember him asking why something like that would happen. I remember when the, the accountant was telling me, you need to file for bankruptcy. And my dad said, no. He said, I'm going to take another job on. I remember for 10 years, my dad delivered papers at night to make sure every debt that his company had was paid. And I, maybe he did. I'm sure he went through emotions, but I never remember hearing him complain. I never hear anything. And then about five years ago, that person had a heart attack and died. And I remember my dad being so tore up about it. And I remember my dad going to the funeral for that guy. And I didn't understand it. And I was the only one old enough to know what was going on. My brother and sister did. My mom didn't understand it. But my dad just is one of those guys that lives at peace with everyone. He got ripped off. He got screwed over. He always looked at it as, I still got my family. And I still got my mind to be able to make more money. And I can't go back and change what this guy did. But why am I going to let this affect my thoughts every single day? He wasn't friends with the guy anymore. He didn't hang out with the guy anymore. They didn't go do lunch every day anymore. He just said, I'm going to live at peace with everyone. Because I'm going to choose to make the decision to live at peace. As much as it depends on you, live at peace. Doesn't that sound good? I mean, let me ask you a question. Show of hands. How many of you enjoy, enjoy living with anger and bitterness? You enjoy, you thrive on it. And that's what some of you might. You, you get up every day and you're like, man, I'm so happy to be angry today and, and, and have a grudge and be bitter. How many of you? How many of you say you'd love to get up every day and just have a peace about you? That you know what God's done in your life is so amazing that it doesn't matter what anyone else has done in your life. It's amazing. When I have those days, and I wish I could say I have them every day, I don't. <laughs> but when I have those days, man, there's power in those days. There's just a contentment in those days. Contentment's a big word in my life lately. I'm trying to figure out how to learn to be content. The Bible talks about contentment so much, and I feel like I've missed out on so much and ruined so many relationships by being so driven and not learning to be content. And there's just a peace that comes with contentment. The older I get, the more I just want peace. 
And I feel like I went through a period in my life recently where there was never peace. Probably about the last two years, it was like everywhere we turned, somebody was wanting to fight and somebody was wanting to argue and someone was wanting to say this. And Man, you get to the point where you literally realize it's going to send me to an early grave if I don't learn how to live at peace. So how do we live at peace with people, especially people who've done us wrong, people that we do not like, people that we just can't stand? There's some steps we're going to take. The first thing we're going to do is if we need to confront, we're going to confront humbly. If we need to confront, we're going to confront humbly. When there is a disagreement between two people, so many times we think we need to confront that person. I used to always be that way. I used to use this phrase, run to confrontation. Run to it. Because you can't avoid it, so go get it over with. Let me tell you this, I still believe that. But what I don't believe anymore is that every situation has to have confrontation. I've just learned there's some situations I don't need to confront because nothing good is going to come out of it. I have an individual in my life, and Christina, I tell you this. There's, every time I confront this person, I legally have no power to confront them. They have all the balls in their court, and they get to call the shots. And so I used to spend so much time confronting them because they're a jerk with their power. But all I would do is every time I would do it, I'd lose. And then I'd be more angry and more. And here's the I just came to the point where I'm like, you know what? I don't like what they're doing. I don't like how they're handling the situation. But at the end of the day, there's nothing I can do about it. And confronting them does me no good. So I'm not going to confront them. Yeah, but they got to know how you feel. Who cares? Do you think they cared how I felt? Matter of fact, I think just the opposite. I think they loved knowing how I felt. And they thrived on knowing how I felt. And it made them want to be more mean and bigger jerks. And they loved making me miserable. I don't give them the satisfaction now. So that was a valuable lesson. I learned I don't always have to confront. You don't always have to confront. (laughs) But there are times... There are times and situations if there's going to be restoration, if there's going to be peace, that you're going to have to confront. <laughs> and, and what we want to do is we really don't want to confront people. We want to hurt them. We want you to know what a dog you were and what a pig you were and how I can't stand you. And I want you to hear all the bad things that I've got to say to you. But if we're going to confront and there's situations we have to confront... We need to confront humbly. Anytime the New Testament talks about confrontation and confronting people, it's always in the context, context of restoring the relationship. You can't restore a relationship when you're confronting to win. Mm. Your goal is not to confront. Your goal is not to restore. Your goal is to win. There's sometimes you've got to confront. In a marriage, there's times, man, I, I am the worst about this. Man, it's been a big issue, and I'm trying to grow and learn. My wife will come to me with her feelings, and I immediately get defensive, and I immediately get mad, and, and I immediately take it as she's coming to me in a, comp, in, a, in a negative way. She's just coming to confront me where she can bring healing and restoration to our relationship. So there's times that we confront, we confront angrily. And we confront to win, and nobody wins in those situations. 
When those times happen where we have to confront, you've got to confront humbly, not with ego, not with anger, not to win. The Bible says this in Matthew 5. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and never remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come offer your gift. He says, before you make your offering to God and you realize there's a relationship that needs to be confronted because something beneficial will come out of the confrontation, he says, stop what you're doing and go do it. Run to the confrontation. We live in a day and time where we hate to confront people. We'd rather be passive-aggressive. We'd rather make vague posts on Facebook. We'd rather drop hints. We'd rather make stabbing remarks instead of confronting and saying, I need to talk to you about something. I, I, listen, I don't want to come to you as a jerk. I don't want to come to you angry. But I need to come to you and talk about something because it's festering and it's getting bigger. And if I don't get it handled, it's going to eat away at me. And we're going to get to the point in our relationship where there never is going to be the ability for us to live at peace. Fight for peace in your relationships. Some of you are saying, man, Gary, I desperately need some healing in my life. I need healing in a relationship. I need healing in a relationship with my dad, my mom, my sister, this person who was my great friend forever. And I know it can be done, but I'm waiting for them to take the step. They might not ever take the step. So you've got to take the step. And you've got to figure out how do I go about confronting in a humble way. In a way where they realize I'm not here to attack you. I'm here to restore this. For God to bring peace and healing in our relationship, <laughs> typically, conflict, confrontation, precedes healing. So many times relationships get splintered and they come back together. And you know why they don't stay together very long? You know why they only stay together for a short period of time? Because you never address the issues that were there. You white knuckled it for a short period of time. You cannot forget what has been done. So you've got to learn how to sit down and talk things out. And we live in a day and time where we don't want to talk things out. We want to fight and we want to argue. But in order for there to be restoration, so many times there has to be confrontation. So many of us, we just want the healing. We want the relationship back. We, we want the bond fixed. I want the, 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 the relationship with my brother, the relationship with my coworker, the relationship with my dad. I want it back. God, just come do your magic thing and heal it. It doesn't work like that. Just throw your hands out there, God, and we'll skip to life like it's great. So many times we've got to step into confrontation. We've got to sit and expose ourselves and, and talk to the person, expose our hurts and expose our wounds and let them know where they injured us. Now here's the deal. If you know there's no hope and it's never going to go back to how it could be, then you've got to learn just to live at peace, not let them dictate your life. So you've got to decide, does this relationship need confrontation? Is actually something beneficial going to come from this confrontation or is it not? When it has to do with your spouse, the confrontation is probably a good thing. When it has to do with someone that you, listen, they hurt you so bad, you want to get to the point where you can forgive and live at peace, but you don't want to be around them anymore, you've got to ask yourself, man, what's the point of confronting? Is it just to make you feel better to tell them what a piece of crap they are? 
That's why we've got to confront humbly. Humbly means we're trying to restore something. I have some people in my life that I have zero desire to have a relationship with ever again. I'm getting to the point where I'm not angry. I'm getting to the point where I don't hold a grudge. But I have zero desire because, man, I've allowed these people to say stuff about me over and over and over. Where no kind, I'm just like, you know what? The boundaries in my life, that'd be a great series. We can do a series on boundaries. The boundaries in my life is I'm not going to allow you to do that again. But there's no point in me confronting because I'm not looking to restore that. But when we confront, we've got to confront humbly. If I'm going to live at peace with others, I must learn to love deeply. That's hard. I must learn to love deeply. Above all, love each other deeply. <laughs> because love covers a multitude of sins. We need to learn what love is. We live in a day and time where we would rather, it's just easier, man, again, I'm not preaching at you, I'm the kid. I hate people. I hate people. What if we changed our mindsets? I mean, I, I love people. I mean, I appreciate people. People do bad things. And people do stupid things. And people have hurt me along the way. But my job is just to love people. And the Bible says when you love deeply, it covers a multitude of sins. <laughs> above everything else, above your self-centeredness, above your own lifestyle, above your own comfort, we're called to love other people deeply. <laughs> I hate getting deep because when Grady's here, because Grady actually knows the Bible and he's been to Bible college and he's way smarter than I am. So, like, I don't even try to pronounce the words in the original language, you know. But uh, I, want, I want to give you a little bit about what that word deeply means. It comes from a root word that literally means to stretch, like they used to do in the Olympic Games. They would stretch out their muscles. How many of you work out and you stretch before you work out? I don't ever stretch before I work out, which is probably why my hip hurts and my, my elbow hurts and my ear hurts and um, my nose hurts and my pinky toe hurts. And I just show up I'm a man. But when I get to my class, it's all these women and they're stretching and putting their legs up on stuff and they're contorting their body. And I'm like, I'm like what kind of stretch is that? Like, what's that going to do to run on the treadmill? But I don't ever hear them complaining about their body hurting. They stretch themselves to get themselves limber for what needs to be done. That word deeply means we stretch ourselves. We get outside of our comfort zone. That means when it's someone who doesn't, worthy of our love. And hey, by the way, there's people that humanly speaking are not worthy of our love. The Bible says to love them deeply. And when you stretch yourself and you love those that are unlovable, it's amazing how it covers a multitude of sins. Most of us, we have a very shallow love. We do. You've heard me say this literally one million times. The word love in our English culture means nothing. The same word that we say we love our spouse and we love our children, the same word we say love for pizza. Use the same word love. So we have a very shallow understanding of love. Man, I love them. You know why you love them? Because you get along with them and you like them. And they ain't done you wrong yet. How many people in your life have you been, man, I love them? Two years later, like, you're, man, I freaking hate them. I can't stand them. Because we have a shallow understanding of what love is. You make me mad, I'm drawing a fence and I don't love you anymore. You offend me, 
You're no longer in the circle of trust. Anybody remember the circle of trust from the Fockers? Oh, you're outside the circle of trust. We have a very shallow understanding of what love is. But God calls us to love deep. God calls us to a love that stretches us, that pushes us to a place of being uncomfortable. We recently had someone in our life, and I wish I could tell you that I was to the point of loving deeply where I followed up on the rumor. But I recently heard that someone that was part of our life for a long time had lung cancer. This person doesn't live in the area anymore. And I thought to myself, man, am I supposed to reach out to this person? Am I supposed to bring this person back where they don't, if they've got lung cancer and they're out in this other state, they don't die alone? And I wish I could tell you, man, I'm Pastor Gary and I did everything right. And I really ain't reached out to the person yet. And you have justified it in my mind. I ain't found out the truth yet. Could just be a rumor. It'd be real easy to find out the truth if I wanted to find out the truth. Because it's an uncomfortable of this, this person on their way out kind of screwed me over a little bit. They kind of said some things. Maybe they kind of they screwed my wife over because of things that had issues with me. And I'm like, man, I don't want to reach out to them. But then I got like, this battle going on. Man, are they going to die alone? Am I supposed to reach out? Am I supposed to have this deep love and bring them back? And that way if they die, they die around here with us doing whatever we do. <laughs> you know, making fun of them. That's kind of what we do around here. And, um, but man, we've got to learn to love deeply. We have a shallow love. I love you as long as you're beneficial to me. We don't ever say it that way, but that's what our love is. I love you as long as you're my friend. I love you as long as you go to church with me and you look like me and you believe like me and you act like me and we have the same you know, political beliefs and the same this and the same that. And I love you. But you do anything that I don't love and I no longer love you. But if we're going to live at peace with people, we've got to learn to love deeply. And we've got to learn that you can love people without liking people. Did you hear what I just said? You can love people without liking people. I get they did you wrong. I get they screwed you over. I get they hurt you in ways that they can never be back in the circle of trust. They can never be back in your day-to-day -day life. But we can have a love for those people because they're human beings. And if you're going to live at peace with people, you have to love people. The Bible says, man, he lays it down. He says, man, can you put that verse back up, please, Xander? He says, man, it covers a multitude of sins. Can you imagine having a love that literally covers what anyone says to you? Can you imagine having a love that covers what people do to you? You see, that's impossible. No, it's not. Because we do it with our children. There's nothing my children could do that would ever make me stop loving them. They can tell me they hate me. I figure that's coming. That's part of being a teenager, right? On the oldest, I've made it to 16 without her telling me that, and I've made it 13 without that. I'm pretty sure they've thought it. Made it to the point where I mean, our 11-year-old hasn't done it yet. It's coming. Not I remember telling my parents, I hate you. I'm going to be home at 9 o'clock. I hate you. Or, you know, shallow love. But, but we love them no matter what. There, there, there's nobody, Christine's grandmother said, like, you know how certain things just rock your world? 
Christine's grandmother said one time, she made a statement, and she wasn't even talking to me. She just said it, and it struck me. She goes, she says, I'm never going to lose the love of my children or my grandchildren based on who they choose to love. Meaning, she goes, I don't approve with all their decisions. I don't approve of who they choose to bring home. I don't choose, I, I don't approve initially they chose to marry me. She goes, but I'm not losing them over that person. That's a deep love. But we got to take it to a whole another level and we got to get that way about mankind if we're going to have peace with people we've got to get to the point that we love people no matter what and when you love it covers the wrongs that they do I didn't say it justifies them I didn't say it makes them right it doesn't mean you've got to approve of them but you can let go because you have a love for people I don't even want to have friendships anymore because every friend I have screws me over I get it Oh, those friendships that are good. Oh, man, those people that you know would be. But what if they screw you over one day? Yeah, they screw you over one day, man. You remember all the good times they didn't screw you over. And you go back and you have new relationships. God always seems to replace those things. This is supernatural love. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. The love like this, this is the love that Jesus has. We're called to be Christ followers. Therefore, we're called to love like Jesus. And here's the deal. Aren't you glad Jesus loves you that way? <laughs> he has a love that covers our sins. Someone did you wrong and you can't love them. And Jesus loves us and we do them wrong all the time. Paul, who wrote most of the news, he said, I am the chief among sinners. In this church, my name is Gary Lamb, and I am the king of the screw-ups. And yet God loves me. No matter what. I don't think he always likes everything I do. I don't think he's up in heaven cheering the stupid decisions I make sometimes. But he's like, that's my idiot, and I sure do love him. <laughs> Thank God for that love. So if we've experienced that love... Shouldn't we be able to give that love? That's what Peter's calling us to do here. He's calling us to love. My question today is, who do you need to love? Who's that person? goes back to praying for our enemies. When you begin to love them, you start praying for them. You want to see good things happen in their life. Instead of bad things. But our, our natures, man, they screwed us over. We want to see them suffer. <laughs> Aren't you glad, again, God doesn't feel that way about us? And again, don't mistake this as I'm saying it needs to be restored. You don't have to be restored with someone to live at peace with someone. Peace is the gift that you give yourself. I want to see them excel. I want to see great things happening in their life. I, I, I want to see them being blessed. You know why? Because I want to live a life that's blessed. And I want to live a life. I don't want God. I don't want God giving me what I deserve. How many of you want what you deserve from God? <laughs> no. Love hurts. When you're going to love, it hurts. You don't think we grieve God with our sin? Love hurts. But when you stop loving, 
You stop living. And so many of you are not living because you're not living with peace in your life. People hurt you. People hurt me. But love. It's the greatest gift you can give yourself to live at peace with people. It's just to love people. I showed up yesterday at the funeral home. I didn't hardly know anybody there. I knew I was preaching this message. And I was just thinking about love and loving people. And it was amazing when I showed up. This girl was killed doing some real stupid stuff. I hate to be this way and I hate to be cold-hearted. She really had no one to blame but herself. Okay? But I got out and she was 19 years old, so there was young people everywhere. And, and all these young people, all I could look at me like, yeah, you're living the same lifestyle, and you're living the same lifestyle, and you're going to end up in the same place. That was my immediate reaction. Then I saw the hurt, and I was amazed how much I was moved with love for everyone there. And it's funny. This, I, I, it's very rare that I feel like I get real spiritual and pastorly, so i got to kind of gloat in those moments. I caught myself walking around the funeral home Literally, I wanted to pass every single person where I could pray for them. God, I pray for this person. I can tell they're hurting. Where I can tell they got three teeth, Father. I know what they're involved in. And Lord, I pray for this person. Man, they obviously got that tattoo in prison. They're probably going to go back to prison in three days. Lord, I pray for them. I just caught myself praying for people. Oh, and just, it was amazing. I, I literally told her, I said, I'm going to go to the funeral home. I'm going to stop in there for like 10 minutes. That's all I can tolerate my family, then I'm leaving. And I was there about 45 minutes, and I would have stayed a lot longer, but I had to leave and go pick up um, my niece that was somewhere, and so I had to get out of there. And the whole way down, I called Christine real quick to let her know I was leaving, and the whole way down, I, I just felt myself moved to pray for these people that I didn't know simply because they were people and they're worthy of love. Were they stupid? Yeah. Are most of them making stupid decisions? Yeah. Does my flesh want to be like, you're going to get what you deserve? Yeah, but I don't want what I deserve. I want someone praying for me and loving me in the midst of all my stupidness. And it covers a multitude of sins. You can't live at peace without loving. You can't even get to the point where you say, I don't hate them anymore. Good. Now you've got to get to the point where you love. Not because of who they are because of who he is and he created them and we're all worthy of love when we love people we begin to be able to live at peace with people last night I'm done to live at peace with people we have to forgive irrationally <laughs> forgiveness is hard is it not somebody say amen Hey, that, don't, that didn't sound like it was hard. Forgiveness is hard. Somebody say amen. amen. I don't want to forgive you for doing me wrong. I want to hang on to it. I want to stew on it. I want to dwell on it. I want to bathe in it. I want to watch every move and Facebook stalk you where I can hear everything that's going wrong in your life. I want to delight in the fact that I hear something's wrong. I don't want to forgive you. <laughs> But I can't live at peace if I don't learn to forgive. Bear with each other. 
and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. And I hate this last part. I hate it. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. That's easy to say. Forgive. Just forgive whatever grievance. Forgive whatever they did. But Gary, you don't know what they did. Yeah, and I don't know what you did either, but God forgave you. How do you forgive those that have beat us up, they've slandered us, they've gossiped? How, how do you get to the point where you can look at someone who's hurt and say, you know what, I forgive you. You no longer have control over me. Do it the way he says. You just forgive us the way the Lord forgave you. You remember how good God's been to you. That he forgives your sins as far as the east is from the west. He chooses to remember them no more. And because we're forgiven, we can forgive. <laughs> We've got to learn to forgive. We've got to learn to let go. Because forgiveness or unforgiveness is the ultimate chain. I watch people as their life falls apart, and I know the cycle, and I know the process, and, and, and they get on there, and they, they go from anger to the guilt, to the, and they just go down the process. When the process is just forgive. Just forgive. Give yourself the gift of forgiveness. We can't live like hypocrites. We can't accept God's forgiveness, and we're not willing to forgive someone else. Does anybody have a gun? If he runs by one more time, someone shoot him with a gun. I know who his parents are, and they'll be okay with it, okay? Don't shoot him to kill. Shoot him in the knee and take out his knee. <laughs> That's our future. He's a good kid. I'm just kidding. I always go back to Jesus hanging on that cross. They beat him. They mocked him. And they found him guilty of something he didn't do. And he says, Father, forgive them. We have got to learn to forgive if you want to live at peace with people Gary I'm not to that point cool you're not to that point I don't know how to say this any other way and I'm not trying to be insensitive or be a jerk and I'm not even saying I'm good at this but that's cool you don't got to love you don't got to forgive you don't got to confront but do not miss this you're only affecting yourself not living at peace with people. You're the one that's not sleeping at night. I just wish I could let it go. You can. You make the decision to confront if you need to confront or make the decision not to confront. And if you make the decision that there's no good in confronting, let it go. You make the decision to love and you make the decision to forgive. Now, let me make this very clear to you because I don't want to be a hypocrite today. It's not as easy as it sounds. But it can be done. And when it's done, we begin to receive that peace. The Bible talks about a peace that passes all understanding. It's a peace that doesn't make sense. It's a peace that other people don't understand. But you live with peace. You'll see the lines in your face go away. The bags under your eyes go away. That frown will be turned upside down. And it won't be Toys R Us doing it. It'll be the peace of God. Have you ever just met someone who just has that peace of God about them? I'm sure at this church you have it. 
But, you know, you got that grandmother or somebody that says that peace of God about them. And you just know there's something. They just learn to live at peace. To not live at peace is such a burden to carry. So we can sling up the deuces all day long. But at the end of the day, are we living at peace with people? For once, be selfish and give yourself the greatest gift you can ever give yourself. Peace. Peace.